something new, little unknown fact to some of you about me. I love, I love, love playing with a worship team. It's one of those things that you miss from time to time, and there's just something about that. I just, I love that. I'm grateful, super grateful for those who dedicate week in and week out to preparing and practicing and getting ready to lead us in musical worship on Sunday. I really am. Super grateful. Yeah. Amen. Uh, Take your Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Believe it or not, this this is our last message in this series on Ephesians. It's crazy. We've worked through this whole book, and uh, my prayer has been that uh, this has been transformative for you personally, but more importantly for us as the church. And as we think about where we're going, as we think about what we're doing, as we think about what God's called us to do and to be, uh, this is really, really crucial. And I encourage you, don't let your study of Ephesians stop here, okay? Don't just say, hey, we went through that sermon series through the book of Ephesians at, uh, at church. And uh, so we're good. I've, I could check that one off the list. Because the reality is, there's a lot more here that we could just spend tons of time talking about. We could spend weeks on just a few verses in Ephesians as when we think about the application of that for our own lives and the challenges of that day in and day out. And some of you may encounter seasons of life where there's aspects of this that when you went through it the first time it just didn't apply as much. And now you're going, this resonates with me. And that's the beauty of Scripture. Amen? It's living, it's active, and as we grow and as we become a more like Christ, Lord willing, we see things we never we didn't see before. And I've never read another book that does it to that caliber. There's there's something powerful within Scripture. That's why we come to this every week. That's why this is this is what matters, okay? At the end of the day, this is what matters. And I've said this before, you will continue to hear me say it over and over again. My prayer, week in and week out, church, is that you don't look up here and see me, but that you hear the Word of God, that God uses me, and that whoever is up here teaching, that we get excited, not because of the individual, but because of the book they're teaching from. Okay? That's, that's what we want to be about here. That's what we need to focus on. And as we enter this final message, this final talk in Ephesians chapter 6, many of you will recognize this passage. It's often quoted, especially when we're encountering difficult seasons of our life. And so we're just going to read that uh, together, and uh, I'm going to start reading in Ephesians 6. We're going to start at verse 10, and I'm going to read all the way to the end of uh, the chapter, the end of this letter, okay? Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, 
having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am, how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Heavenly Father, as we enter this last text this morning in the book of Ephesians, I pray that this would not end our study and the impact and the ripple effects that this letter is having amongst our church body, amongst us as individuals, amongst our community, Lord, that you continue to develop us as the church you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an interesting story that comes out of uh, the Korean War, which speaks of uh, enemy forces that were advancing, and the Baker Company was cut off from the rest of their unit. For several hours, no word was heard, even though headquarters repeatedly tried to communicate with the missing troops. Finally, a faint signal was received. Straining to hear, the corpsman asked, Baker Company, do you read me? This is Baker Company, came the reply. What is your situation? Asked the corpsman. The enemy is to the east of us. The enemy is to the west of us. The enemy is to the north of us. The enemy is to the south of us. Then after a brief pause, the sergeant from Baker Company said with determination, The enemy is not going to get away from us now. Although surrounded and outnumbered, he was thinking of victory, not defeat. As we come to this passage in Ephesians, it starts and we think, uh, think about this. It says, finally, brothers, finally, after all that we've already talked about, all that's already been stated, all that's already been said, pay attention, brothers. Focus. This is important. And while we could spend, we could do our own series through just the armor of God and look at each piece of that armor and what does this entail, I want to direct our attention to another aspect of this passage that often gets missed. And that's the reasoning behind why we are called to take up the armor of God. That's the motivation behind all of this. And we see it multiple times in the first part of the passage we just read, where it simply says, stand. Stand firm. Stand. Having done all to stand. Everyone say stand. And if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to think about what it looks like 
what it truly looks like for the follower of Christ, for the church to stand firm, to become rooted and grounded and take a stance. And what we're going to see is that in this final section, Paul is really summarizing everything. He's already, he's already given this instruction and insight throughout the letter as to this is how you're supposed to respond. This is what your focus is supposed to be. In the church, in your community, in your family. Now finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to... What is it? Stand. Now... A couple notes here about standing, when we think about that. The first one is that standing firm takes strength. Standing firm takes strength. Put on, this is verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now I want you to notice here, in verse 10 specifically, it says, be strong in what? The Lord. Everyone say that one more time. Say the Lord. Okay. This is really significant. Because we're so used to standing being something that we do of our own power. I'm going to stand. I choose to stand. I choose what I'm going to stand for. I choose where I'm going to stand. I, I, I make that decision. And yet, there's something really emphatic here. And a focus on be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Standing takes strength. And you know what the reality is? We get to a point later on in our life, we may lose the physical ability to stand. Maybe we haven't really had the physical ability to stand. But the cool thing about our spiritual walk, our walk with Christ is, this isn't talking about physically standing firm. It's talking about a spiritual placement where I'm choosing, I'm choosing to stand firm, rooted in something that is so much bigger than myself that it, it's implausible for me to do of my own strength. No matter what phase of life you're at. This is for all. This is for the church. Everyone say the church. Okay, because we've been highlighting, and that's important for us to remember, that Paul wrote this letter to the church. It's instruction to them, okay, the church as a whole, as to what God intends that to look like. The strength it takes to stand in this context is a strength that can only come from God. Now, the cool thing about this is, is we're in really good company. Because if we look through all of Scripture, I just jotted down a few names and I, I did not exhaust this by any means because it would take a long time. Gideon was a farmer who God called to defeat a massive army, not done by his strength. Moses had trouble speaking and articulating and talking. And so God provided Aaron to help him, but also just gave him power through God himself to accomplish the purpose he had been set out to do. God's strength, not Moses' strength. David a young man who stood before a giant that all the other armies, all the other soldiers cowered in fear before. 
And he, he knew he wouldn't even take the king's armor, but rather his sling and those pebbles, because he knew it was God's strength, not his own, that was going to defeat that enemy. Joseph, when he was taken essentially into slavery in Egypt, and he was convicted for things that he never even did, falsely accused, he was imprisoned, and yet God used him, and God elevated him into a place of leadership. Clearly, that was not of Joseph's own strength. It was whose strength? God's strength, okay? Daniel. He was a man who had been ripped away from everything he had known, taken into Babylonian captivity. And here he is, even after the edict, that you're not to pray to anyone, you're not to worship anyone except the king. And Daniel, as he commonly did, kneeled before the window and prayed, devoted in prayer, was thrown into the lion's den. And yet emerged from that and God used him powerfully. It was not Daniel's strength. Daniel didn't close the mouths of the lions. Daniel didn't cause this to happen. It was God's strength, not Daniel's. Think about, along with Daniel, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego commanded to bow down before an idol. Yet they chose to stand firm. Say, we worship one God, the true God, thrown into a furnace. We can all say that was definitely not of their own power. They were able to survive that. And they come out of that furnace, they can't even smell smoke on them. God's power, not theirs. And you think about the disciples and all that they watched take place as Jesus was tried and crucified. And Jesus said, I'm going to use you to build my church. And many of them were martyred, killed for their faith in Christ. Yet they stood firm. They stood their ground because they knew that the power they received was not of their own strength. It was of God. And then even the writer of this very letter we've been studying, Paul, who spent the early portion of his life decimating the followers of Jesus, only to come to a place of literally seeing, seeing Christ, and then dealing with day after day the pressure and the overwhelming conviction of the people who said, hey, what about this guy was this person over here. What are you saying? He can be someone different here? And he stood firm. He stood his ground. He was beaten and thrown out of cities and got up and went right to the next city. Because it was that important. Now, I highlight all of that. And there's many more we could talk about to highlight that we have examples of this, church. We have examples of followers, devoted followers of God, who said, we're going to stand firm. We're going to stand firm and we have examples of God's strength, God's power through them. And Romans 8 tells us that it's the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead that dwells within each one who's a follower of Christ. It's the same spirit that changes things. So, the other side of this question is what happens when I try to do this of my own strength? When I try to stand on my own strength, the first thing that often happens is we become prideful. 
We become rooted in pride because it's about me. Look what I can do. Look what I can accomplish. I don't need God because look at this. Along with that, I end up seeking to accomplish my purposes rather rather than God's. See, when I become devoted just to myself and I'm rooted in pride and that's my focus, then all of a sudden, everything I do becomes an outpouring of where my heart's at. And when my heart is devoted to myself, I end up serving myself. And you know, we see that play out in our marriages. We see that play out with our kids. We see that play out with our friends. We see that play out in the church. That we become devoted to ourselves becomes about us rather than about what God is seeking to do in and through us. Through His power. Through His strength. The other thing that often happens when I try to do it out of my own strength is I become weighed down by all that is around me or all that is consuming me. And there's another story. um, This one going back... uh, Further, with the army of Alexander the Great as it was advancing on Persia. And at one critical point in this campaign, it appeared that Alexander's troops might be defeated. And the soldiers had taken so much plunder from their previous campaigns that they had become weighed down and were losing their effectiveness in combat. And so Alexander commanded that all the spoils be thrown into a heap and burned. The men complained bitterly, but soon saw the wisdom of this order. And someone wrote, it was as if wings had been given to them, they walked lightly again. How often in our attempt to stand firm, do we become weighed down by everything else that we're dealing with or that's going on around us. And we even tell ourselves, I know God doesn't want us to worry about these things. He's he's told us, don't worry about tomorrow. He's told us not to be anxious. I pray for the peace of God that surpasses understanding. I, I know these things. But do we actually ever cast those things off? Do we put them aside and say, oh man, i got to stand firm. I'm in a war. And for me to carry all this other baggage around makes me really ineffective to fight. It's distracting me. I'm missing things. I'm not seeing this clearly. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he says, Don't you know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? And so then his exhortation is, Therefore, run... As if you're trying to achieve it. As if you're trying to seek after that goal. Pursue that. Hebrews 12 tells us, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, lay off, cast off every weight and sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
was despised and yet is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is our advocate. He's the one who stands in the gap. And if we're in Christ, we have nothing to fear. Standing firm takes strength, but it's not our own strength, church. All right, everyone turn to your neighbor and say, it's not your own strength. Number two. Standing firm takes knowledge. Everyone say knowledge. Takes knowledge of two things. Okay? First off, a knowledge of who we're standing for. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, Ephesians 6, says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We're fighting for Christ. We're fighting for God through Christ. This is His campaign. He is the one in charge. And in order for us to rest in His strength and take up His armor, we first have to acknowledge that we are fighting His fight. Now, the second part of that becomes really crucial as we think about the first part. And it's not only knowing who I'm standing for, but it's knowing who I am standing against. Now, church, this is really important because when it comes to who we're standing against, we so often mistake the ones we're standing against for the people that are around us. And we cast all of our anger, all of our frustrations, all of our fight becomes against those people rather than against the one we really should be fighting. And so we convince ourselves that the fight is against those who disagree with us politically or it's those who disagree with us maybe about how to raise your family, or those who disagree with us about our work, it's the co-workers that we don't get along with. Or maybe it's even we see the enemy as those who believe in false gods. And we say, they're the enemy! And all that does, church, is it sets up a barrier. Okay, it sets up a barrier when we recognize that Jesus met with, talked with, sought to walk alongside and share truth with the people who others would say, what are you doing? That's our enemy. This is the same God who sent Jonah to Nineveh, capital of Assyria, one of, the, one of all of Israel's most vicious enemies. It's no wonder Jonah didn't want to go. Are you kidding me, God? 
Jesus was the one who sat with the Samaritan woman, breaking two cultural norms in that day and age. One, it was a Samaritan. Two, it was a woman. And his disciples came back and go, what are you doing? Our fight is not against people. And the sooner we recognize as a church, the sooner we're going to be effective as the church. Because we've got to see that if we don't seek to share the gospel with people, if we don't seek to identify that people are the ones Jesus came to save, if we don't have those same eyes, how do we ever expect to be effective when we're thinking about our mission as the church? And this identifies you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There's no fancy interpretation there, guys. It is you, we do not wrestle against people as the primary enemy. Okay? But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's our enemy. And that battle, that war is waging all the time. It's waging in here right now. Some of you right now are wrestling with this. And there's this tension, this desire, this tug and pull, and you're living that. It's happening right now. And if we don't step out and desire to know, how do I fight this? How do I combat this? How do I do this well? Then we're destined to be defeated. Now, the cool thing is, if we recognize our strength is in Christ and we recognize we're not battling people, what we're battling, a bigger enemy than all of this and that God is the one who's in charge. If we see all of that, all of a sudden we recognize and if you read your whole Bible all the way to the end, you already know who wins. Hey, this is like a movie that someone totally spoiled for you. Only now you're living it, okay? It's like a dream. Have you ever had this where you're having a dream and in the dream you realize it's only a dream? I, 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 I tell my wife that's happened to me multiple times and I'm going, at this point I might as well just enjoy the dream. Whatever happens, it's not real. Okay? And while that's different, okay, it's not in the sense that if we already know that we serve the God who wins, why do we live in fear? And I'm just as guilty of that, okay? I do not stand up here and separate myself in any way. I struggle with this. Because it's scary when you don't know where God's going to provide from. And it's scary when you don't know how secure your job is. It's scary when politics and everything happening in the world is just going crazy and you go, oh my goodness, I'm still here. But it doesn't change who's in control. And when we rest in that, when we hope in that, when we recognize that's the battle we're in, and no matter what happens, even if I'm in Christ and I don't live to see the finish, I still know who's going to be the winner. And just as Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. What do we have to fear? How do we do this? How do we stand firm? That's, that's the big question. And this is what's cool because that's really the question is what tools are in our possession to do that? And this is where the armor of God comes in. All right? The tools in your toolbox. 
And I just want to state that every single one of these mentioned is available to you. Through Christ, every one of these things mentioned is available to you. This is not one of those where you pick and choose and go, oh, well, so-and-so, you know, I need to borrow his helmet because it's just not my strong point. All right, there's no, there's no second-hand sharing of the armor of God. All right? All of this, everyone say all of this. All of this is available to each one of you through Christ. Okay? It says, verse 14, stand therefore. Everyone say stand. stand. Having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. This is a powerful list, church. Man, this is powerful. Now, I'm going to do something a little different as we go through the armor of God, because as I was reading this and studying this this past week, what I recognized was he's already told us the details and how this is lived out throughout the rest of Ephesians for each piece of this armor. Okay? So, first one, the belt of truth. Flip back with me to Ephesians 4.15. Now, this was a passage, when we think about how we use our words, it's powerful. And it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. The belt of truth, when we think about that, think about the fact that the belt holds everything else together. Wrapped around, cinched, tight. Nothing's going to fall off. Then lived out in practice. If I'm wearing the belt of truth, I'm going to be a truthful person. I'm going to be someone who's devoted to truth. I'm not going to buy into lies or schemes or deception. I'm not going to be one who deceives or manipulates. I'm going to speak the truth in love. Put on the belt of truth. Hey, that's your first weapon. Satan's weapon against that is deception and lies. Falsehood, slander. If I am participating in any of those things, then I am aiding the enemy, not fighting him. The breastplate of righteousness. Stay in Ephesians 4 and look at verse 21. It says, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The breastplate focuses protection on all your vitals and the reality of this being 
that we strive for God's righteousness to be like Christ. And in order to do that, we put off our old self. We recognize who we were and strive for what God's called us to be. And so to actively put on the breastplate of righteousness means that I'm actively seeking to put away my old self and walk in newness of life. The shoes of readiness given by the gospel. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Shoes of readiness. says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore... Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Shoes of readiness. Do we leave here ready to share the gospel with the people we encounter outside of this place? Do we leave here recognizing that this could be my last day on earth? And so I'm going to be devoted to the things of God with a readiness that's prepared by the hope that I have stored up for me in Christ? That's what it means to put on shoes of readiness. I'm ready! I'm ready to go. I'm excited about this. Because I know the one I serve. I know my commander. No one can defeat him. Look carefully then how you walk. The shield of faith. Flip back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, that's important, and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You see the correlation there between chapter 1 and chapter 6? Our battle is against the authorities, the powers, the principalities, all these things, and yet He is seated, Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The shield of faith is faith in who He is and who we know He is according to His Word. And the helmet of salvation. Look at Ephesians 2. Verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are saved by grace through faith. This is not your own doing. The helmet, the fabrication of the helmet is God's making. It's God's making, not yours. So we put that on and we know that it's through Him. It's through Him. And all of this, coming back to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the very pages, the very words, the very letters that we have to understand the depths of these truths. Hebrews 4.12 says us, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the depths of who we are. Paul closes this letter in verse 18 of Ephesians 6. Before he sends final greetings, he says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for himself, that he would preach, that he would speak these words boldly. Church, I want to challenge you with these truths because... Statistics say that most of us are going to walk out of here today and we're going to go, oh, it was good, or I don't know if it was very good, and we're going to go about our life, and we're going to lose sight of this. And if we lose sight of the battle we're fighting, we're sitting on the front lines of a battle that's waging, whether we're fighting in it or not, and you're going to get caught in the crossfire. Stuff's going to happen. We're going to get discouraged. We're going to feel defeated. We're going to feel like God is far off for some reason. And it's up to each one of us to go, I'm choosing to take up the armor of God every morning, every day. This has to be a choice that I'm making. Because I know who goes before me. I read this quote this week, and as we close today, I just want to share it with you because it's powerful when we think about the application of this. It says, so when the devil comes and says, look at your thoughts, look at your actions and ways, we can still respond and say, I look to Christ, I stand on His promises, and it is His righteousness that covers me. First find fault in Jesus before you drive me to despair. My hope is in His blood and victory. The devil will never find fault with Jesus, so be assured, stand firm, and resist when the day of evil comes. For us to live is Christ. Church, I exhort you in the name of Jesus to stand firm on the promises of Christ. To hold fast to God's grace given through Him to take up the whole armor of God. 
and march into battle with me. For whether we are ready or not, the war is waging. May we stand together as the church, knowing that through Christ there is none that can stand against us. Heavenly Father, as we shift now and we come to a time of application where we realistically live this out, I pray that uh, we would understand the depth of this as it applies to not just our individual circumstances, but the church, Lord, that we would not battle against our brothers and sisters, that we would not battle against the people, but, Lord, that we would fight the fight against an enemy that is so prevalent, knowing that he is not more powerful than you or anything we face. Help us to actively take up the armor of God and pursue all that you've called us to be as your church. In Jesus' name, amen.